You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, all right, all right. So we're going to take a sermon series pause for a minute. I want to remind us and remind me about something that we used to talk about a lot, and we haven't talked about a lot lately, so it'd just be good to have a refresher. Uh, I think for all of us, given what's going on. So first thing I want to ask is, uh, when you hear the phrase culture wars, uh, what does that mean to you? First off, how many of you are familiar with the term culture wars? Raise your hand. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, a good bit, quite a bit. So when you hear the phrase culture wars, uh, what, does that, what, what, does that, what does that do in your imagination? What do you see? Okay, <laughs> get nauseous. I agree with that. What else? Anybody else? Yeah, it gets ugly. Divisive, huh? Yeah, absolutely. What else? Huh? Control. All right. What else? Anything else? Do what? Yeah, different beliefs. Yeah, yeah, good. Huh? Decals, bumper stickers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, social media posts. You know, culture wars, it's a term, it's a thing. Um, you can even find it uh, in dictionaries. And think about the language, culture, what's that other word? Wars. And when you hear the word war, what do you think of? Violence, right? Fighting. And what I find interesting is how Christians and churches, how we get caught up in this idea of culture wars. That we feel like that somehow to defend our beliefs, to... <laughs> Man, I'm going to miss you like crazy when you do. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like somersault. I'm back, parents. Um, no, that when we, think of, when we think of culture wars and we think of violence, we think of uh, standing against others, standing against lies, or maybe to be more positive, we're standing for the truth, right? And we're, we're defending faith. And we see it as a, as a battle for what is good and right. And, and that ends up being the engagement. And a lot of times Christians get caught up, we get caught up in culture wars, wars, and what do we use to engage in culture wars? The Bible. We use the Bible, and we may not use it directly, but we use it nonetheless because this is where our beliefs come from. Because what we sometimes forget is that ideology, the word ideology, is literally defined, I mean it can be simply defined as a set of beliefs that bind the people together. Right? So political ideologies religious ideologies, we like to call them beliefs and doctrines. And we think somehow that defending the Scripture is what God has called us to do. And so we turn to the two verses in the Bible that say defend the faith. And what we forget is that the people that Paul tells Christians to defend the faith against is Christians. You with me? Not your friends on social media. Not politicians. Christians. Like the only time Christians are called to defend the faith is against other Christians. And that makes sense because if we're going to fight as a household of God, it makes sense that only God sees it rather than the watching world. Because when the watching world sees us engage in cultural warfare, why don't we just call it that instead? 
then the world is watching us engage in cultural warfare like five posts. Seriously, I've seen this. And I want you to think about it. Ask yourself if you've seen this. And more specifically, maybe ask yourself if you've done this. Well, you do all these like God loves you verses. And then there's this like God wants to whip you verse. Or God wants to whip you statement that's posted out there, right? And you see it like as this like stream of memes and posts. And so we dig lines in the sand. And what we create is a culture of us versus them. And I want you to think about it, and I encourage you to look through it. The only people that Christians are actually told we are allowed to judge, remember Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. With what measure you use, it will be measured unto you. But we are allowed to speak truth, and we are allowed to name a thing, and we are allowed to call things what they are. The only people that we're allowed to do that to is, guess who? Us. Because what did Jesus say? He would say, by their fruits, beware false prophets, beware false teachers, by their fruits, you will know them. We are allowed to call bad fruit, bad fruit. I want to say this, in my opinion, and I would love to talk this through, is I think cultural warfare is bad fruit. And I think Christians who are engaging in cultural warfare to save the world has forgotten that what saves the world is not cultural warfare, but self-emptying, self-giving love. I mean, isn't that what Jesus does? Jesus didn't come down and wage war. Jesus spoke hardcore to religious leaders and politicians, which is actually the people that Jesus spoke most directly to. And what's ironic is the Sadducees, everybody say Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, Herodians, and Zealots. Those were the five religious political parties that were on the scene when Jesus came to rescue us. So Israel had had to get called up. They were, they were, Greek, they were Hellenized. It was called like uh, Greek Hellenism. They, were, they had taken on Greek culture because Rome ruled the world. Everybody say Rome ruled the world. And Rome ruled the world through violence and power. And they had taken on Greek culture. And, and so Jews, and who were trying to be faithful to the Torah, tried to create ways by which they could be faithful to Torah. And they engaged in a kind of culture war. And it was for their survival because they felt like their culture was being taken from them. Does that sound any familiar? Does that sound familiar to anybody? They felt like their culture was threatened, so they engaged in a form of cultural war. And to do that, they established, I like to say, religious parties. And that is so, so, that is so not good theology. They are religious political parties. They were literally the politics of, of Judaism. They were the parties who co-opted the faith and the law because faith was law, law was faith. Are y'all with me? Come on, no, I'm a little bit in the weeds. And so they created these parties, Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes decided to get out. They were kind of like the desert people. They were like, we're out, y'all. Like, we're going to do our own thing. Y'all do y'all. Like, Sadducees, y'all do you. And then the Herodians, they were following a dynasty of people who followed King Herod. And then you had the Zealots, and the Zealots were like the terrorists. They were the ones who were willing to cut folk. They were throwing hands. Right? Like some people were throwing Torah, they were throwing hands, right? Like that's what they wanted to do. And Jesus comes on this scene. And you notice when you read the gospel, Jesus doesn't, when he's dining with tax collectors and sinners, he doesn't stand on the table of the tax collectors and sinners and preaches to them about the culture wars. He loves them and dines with them. It's only the people who are in political and religious power that he speaks this kind of truth to. So much so that he realizes they're using Torah, what we might call the Bible, which technically is the Hebrew Scriptures, to wage war against their own people. They were using the Bible as a weapon, not a solution. And so Jesus and John, now if you've got your Bible, you want to follow me because there ain't a thing on the screen. 
And there's nothing in the notes. This is just us and the scripture and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 5, he's talking to religious leaders and politicians and even some attorneys. And listen to what he says to them in John chapter 5, verse 38. He says, you don't have his word. You don't have God's word living in you because you don't believe in the one God sent. Listen to this, verse 39. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about what? Me. So Jesus is saying, you keep using that Bible to justify what you're believing. You're using the Bible constantly. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And you're forgetting that what the Bible ultimately says is I'm king and I'm Lord and I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I've said this many times before. I get this question a lot uh, when I meet people out and about. I even got it last night. Um, It's like, hey, is your your church a Bible-believing church? Like sometimes I just want to be like, no. Like, it's like sometimes, like, I don't even know what you mean. Like, you know, that's just a whole thing. And then I'll say, you know, we are a Jesus-following church imperfectly, but we try to follow Jesus. Now, like, yeah, but do you preach the Bible? And then I want to be like, no. And actually, I do say no. I say, I preach Jesus, and I use the Bible to do that. You see the difference? We preach Jesus, and we use the scriptures to do that. Because when you just preach the Bible... You might end up pouring over the scriptures, trying to find eternal life in them, and forgetting that every single scripture testifies about Jesus. But when you talk about Jesus and you let the scripture speak to that, it puts the Bible in its place. Because man wasn't made for the Bible, right? Men and women were not made for the Bible. The Bible was given to men and women to reveal the vision of God for the world, right? So Jesus has to say to these leaders, you keep preaching all this stuff, but you're forgetting that it's all about me. Which is why then for years we've said, if you have a belief or you don't know what to do in your faith, then seriously, open up the scriptures to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start there. And if you can't see what you believe, what you believe in expressed in the teachings of Jesus, And if you can't see what you want to do expressed in the life of Jesus, then don't. Does that make sense? Or reconsider. So this last week, I've had about six people text me or email me. And I've met with even a couple. Lovely. And it was beautiful. And I'm reminded with these six people, they were like, well, what does a Christian say to this? What is a Christian supposed to do to this? And what is a Christian response to this? And sure, I could give my opinion on that. But at the end of the day, that's ultimately, I mean, I think I want it to be an informed opinion, but it's still that. Um, So my answer to them always, and it sounds really cliche and maybe even a little trite and maybe even a little dismissive. And I don't mean it this way, but I said to all of them, open up your scripture to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Spend time literally with what you see and what you hear in Jesus and then do the closest thing to what you see and hear in Jesus and trust God with the consequences. But always, always, always err on the side of love and grace. Y'all hear me? So then, do we have any room to participate in culture wars? We don't. What about the truth? Live it. You go live the sermon you want to preach. I need to live the sermon I want to preach. Instead of engaging in all that, because who are we going to hurt? 
Remember what Paul told Timothy? Don't engage in foolish disputes, lest they what? Be a hard, be a, be a, be a stumbling block and a problem for those who are just in earshot of it. When people in social media and people at the water cooler and people in our family who are not following the way of Jesus hear us proclaim the way of Jesus and we then start arguing in light of our beliefs that do not look like the way of Jesus, we lose our credibility. Because love is our witness. So now you've got all kinds of things. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can't say certain things are wrong. I am not saying that. I'm not saying that... I'm not suggesting, pastorally or personally, that we should just let things that are going on in society that speak injustice, that speak racist ideology, that speak white nationalist ideology or Christian nationalist, well, that's Christians, that's different, like speak ideologies that are against the way of Jesus. I'm not suggesting at all we shouldn't speak to those things. But what I'm going to ask us to think about is what's going to be more impactful, speaking on social media are speaking with your hands and feet and getting out in the community, showing up at the tables and doing something about it. Our church is blessed to be associated with so many different nonprofits in this community that are actually doing the embodied work of love and truth. I think of Echo Family Partners. I think of Faith Walkers. I think, which y'all are going to hear about them next week. I think of Virginia Racial Healing Institute. I think of Literacy for Life. I think of... Uh, 3E Restoration. I think of many different opportunities with Barb teaching us on trauma. I think of so many different things that we have as a congregation right in our midst that we can actually show up to be equipped for and engage our neighbors with love as our witness and speak what is true, but do what is true to do what we speak. And I wanted to offer this word today because I don't know if it's just me, but it's something I felt in my gut, and I usually try to pause when that happens. I'm hoping it's the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of Fred, but I feel, you know, I feel like I need to pause and say, it sounds to me, it looks to me that the gaslighting is really starting to ramp up, that they're starting to blow on the flames and on the kindling embers that are going to burn everybody. Now, as we enter into an election season, this always seems to be the case. I mean, I'm starting to get got you text messages from people. Like, I hadn't gotten them in a while, now I'm getting them. Like, I feel like it's just starting to kind of ramp up a little bit, and I just want to encourage us to remember the Christ. Remember the Christ. You cannot, we cannot remember the Christ if we don't open up the text and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and take a look at what the Christ is doing and what the Christ is saying. Are you with me? So, for example, when Jesus says things like this in Luke chapter 6, and I'm doing this with a beautiful bunch of 6th graders in my Bible class at Williamsburg Christian Academy, And it's just been on my heart, and I want to give it to you. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, You who are poor are blessed, because the kingdom of God is yours. You who are now hungry are blessed, because you will be filled. You who now weep are blessed, because you will laugh. 
You are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son and man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to when all people speak well of you. Come on now. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. What Jesus seems to be doing in the Sermon on the Mount, according to Luke, is he's almost establishing two lines of people among the people. And in one line are the have-nots and the hurts and the harms. And in the other line are the people who are in that same community seeing the have-nots, the hurts, and the harms and not doing anything about the have-nots, the hurts, and the harms. And Jesus is saying, you who are the have-nots with the hurts and the harms, God's got you. You who are looking at those with the have-nots and the hurts and the harms and not doing anything about the have-nots, the hurts, and the harms, I guess you just got yourself. So, beloved, how are we treating the have-nots, the hurts, and the harms? Which line are we going to be in? Jesus says in verse 27, he goes on, he says, But I say to you, come on now, you ready? Love your enemies. Do what is good to those who what? Hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the other cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from one who takes things from you, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Here's the hard part. Here's where he sums it up. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And then we read that and we go, oh, well, Jesus didn't literally mean that. We think we, we, it's so amazing. Is it amazing to you how we read Scripture and there are things we take literally? But then it's like, not this. Like, no, he didn't really mean, like, lend to those who ask without expectation of return. But you better get that tattoo removed. Right? Like, that's how we think through this. And we think, then, that what the Sermon on the Mount is about is just Jesus giving us an ideal as to how to live our lives. But here's the interesting thing about the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe is like the Christian Constitution. Like, we celebrate this country's constitution more than we do the Sermon on the Mount. And that may be because the Sermon on the Mount has something to say to that. And a lot of other things. Let's just be real about that. But the thing is, the Sermon on the Mount ends with a song we all know. Or not all of us, maybe. But for those of us who may have grown up to church. So it says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? You hear that? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, everybody say this, and acts on them. 
All right. And then Jesus tightens up the toga. And he says, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Come on. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Come on. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. Oh, the rains came going down and the floods. Come on. Come on. I need somebody with And the, uh, 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 uh. All right, right? We know that song. And that's where we get it from. Because then the foolish man built his house upon the what? The foolish man built his house upon the what? I said the foolish man built his house upon the what? And the rains came tumbling what? And the rains came and the floods came. And we do that twice. And what happened to the house? Crash. That's the part that all the kids in VBS say, crash, and then they all fall. Alvin, go ahead and fall. Okay, thanks. Um, that's how it ends. So anytime you hear somebody say the Sermon on the Mount isn't meant to be followed, you got to listen to what Jesus literally said at the Sermon on the Mount, which is those who hear my words and act on them are the people who get it. Here's why I wanted to offer that today. Because living that life of faith is only possible by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Can we agree to that? Because I ain't got that. And it's only possible by living by the power of the Holy Spirit within community who's trying to do the same thing. Are you with me? You with me? But if some of us in our church are engaged in culture wars, then we're not going to be able to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Does that make sense? And if we're going to live out the way of Jesus, we're going to have to resist the enemy-making machine. You're going to have enemies. But what did Jesus say with enemies? What did he say? Love them. And isn't that hard enough? I don't have the energy to fight enemies because it's taken all I can to figure out how to love some. Right? Like, is that just how it works? If we want to have a witness, then we have to bear witness to the Christ who is eternal life in the now. Because Paul believed, well, the Jews believed all of this in the early church, the Jewish Christians. And here's what they said. Here's what they said about Jesus. If you want to know. What would God say? What would God do? Then look literally at the person of Jesus. Because God looks like Jesus. Jesus is not just a manifestation of God. That's actually not what Scripture teaches. The Scripture actually says God looks like, has always looked like. We didn't know God always looked like Jesus until Jesus came. Where do I get that from? We've been reading it every single Sunday, haven't we? Colossians chapter 1. Grab your worship guides. Sherry, if you'll go to that confession, if you don't mind, on the screen. What's the first words? Christ is the what? Visible image of the what? 
invisible God. Paul is starting off in this doxology, in this song, in this poetry. Have you ever noticed that when Paul writes letters, sometimes he goes into spoken word? Like he just, he just starts going into spoken word and, and writes a song. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And then read this with me. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So Christ alone is everything. Christ alone is everything. Anything without Christ is nothing. And Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. What would God do? I don't know. What do you see in Jesus? What would God think about that? I don't know. What do you see in Jesus? This is how the question has to be asked. Should I respond to this? I don't know. What would Jesus do? I know it's kind of cliche, but... Like that. Uh, but what would he do? In the heavenly realms on all, oh, for through him, God, through him, who's the him? Christ, Christ Jesus. Through him, God created what? Everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we what? Can see and the things we what? Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and what? For him. Now, just so we don't get confused, he, the Jesus, the Christ, who put skin on, who put brown skin on, that Jesus existed before everything else was ever created. So don't think that somebody created Jesus. Jesus just put skin on. That's all Jesus did. He's like, I got y'all. And he just put skin on. So Jesus is God, always has been God, existed before anything else, and he holds what? He holds all things together. Everything was created through him and for him, and he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So let me ask you something. Who holds the world together? Jesus. So how do you and I think we're going to do a better job of holding society together than Jesus? You don't have to defend God. God's okay. We don't have to do that. Oh, defend the truth. You don't have to defend the truth. You have to live the truth. You with me? This is ramping up. Now, I'm not saying you can't speak the truth. You should name the things that are untruth. Name the injustices and the wrongs in the world with no apology, but love also. Because the oppressor is liberated by the gospel and the oppressed is liberated by the gospel, but in entirely different ways. But both have to be liberated. So he goes on and says, Christ is also the head of what? The church, which is his what? So who's the hands and feet? So we can't be throwing hands. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For listen to this, read this with me, please. For God and what? Was what? Now, did Paul say God and some of his fullness? What did he say, God and what? You know what the Greek word for all literally means? All. I'm really smart. It, It means all. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him... God has reconciled what? 
But God cannot reconcile. The reality of what has been reconciled will not be manifest if we are constantly tearing it apart. Now, again, I want to be clear. Systems of injustice need to be dismantled. You with me? I could point the Bible on that too. But we do what with enemies? We love them. And love's got to look like something. So if we dismantle systems of injustice, we cannot let the stones of those systems tumble upon the people in the room. We have to do that work of rescue too. And that is why the gospel is a scandal. It ain't progressive enough, but it ain't conservative enough. It ain't left enough, and it ain't right enough because it's not interested in progressive, conservative, left, or right. It's only interested in manifesting and embodying the way of Jesus. Can we see that? So you're going to have to speak to the left, and you're going to have to speak to the right, but you've got to keep going straight. You with me? Do not... Sidewind in this culture wars, beloved. Don't get caught up in the enemy making machine. Because I close with this the writer of Hebrews said, just so we don't get confused, in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, talking about now, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him, this is Jesus, the heir over all things, and made the universe through him. Now listen to this, please. Verse 3. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And this is the most important part. And the exact expression of his nature. So God isn't, Jesus isn't just a mirror image. Jesus is an exact expression of the nature of God. Jesus alone is everything in your faith. Everything. Not only liberated you into an eternal life with God, but liberates you now. Now. That's why the word liberation is more stronger than salvation. Oh, be saved, be saved. No, be liberated. Some of us are saved and still held captive. Be saved and be liberated away from the enemy-making machine so that you can actually enter into the injustices of culture, speak truth to power, dismantle, and love your enemy at the same time. You with me? So you call a thing a thing, but make sure the thing you're calling isn't just merely a reflection of your convenient ideology. In the name of naming things, I'm going to show you this thing that happens to appeal to my particular ideology. That's how we do it. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? And can you say and do what Jesus is saying and doing? And go do that and make sure we're not doing it alone. And all I wanted to say today, beloved, is that we cannot allow ourselves as the beloved community of Williamsburg Christian Church to go about the work of cultural warfare. 
So please watch your social media posts, watch your words, watch your language, watch what you're engaged in. And by all means, stop watching some of the things you watch on TV. Maybe, maybe, take, maybe take a sabbatical from social media, particularly Twitter. And let's be the kind of people who live the sermons we preach. Everybody say it with me. Live the sermons we preach. We have to live the sermons we preach. Our words don't matter. And by all means, Williamsburg Christian Church family, let's hold each other into the rule of life. Let's say it together. Love one another for... Guard one another's backs. Protect one another's kingdom values. Believe one another's motives. And sing one another's praises. Because if we as a church family get lost in cultural warfare, the table's going to be broken. We cannot... Cannot let that happen among us. So over the next several months, weeks, years, I don't know. We're going to continue to speak truth to power. Don't matter if it's Republican, Democrat, or Libertarian. Doesn't matter. If it's gospel, it's gospel. You with me? If it tweaks us because it speaks on the wrong side of our ideological commitments, then so be it. But here's the thing. If we speak to it, we have to speak to it because we see it and we hear it in who? Jesus. And then we figure out how to bring all that to the table in full submission to the table of the Christ. And all the division that takes place in society between now and then gets placed in submission the table of Christ. Because Christ is the gracious host and all are welcome. And so even if you slip, even if you stumble, even if you pop off with a hot take on social media. And you start throwing hands. You still are welcome to the table. But just remember that those aren't your hands you're throwing. They're the hands of Jesus. And Jesus don't throw his nailed scarred hands. And we know this to be true. And so all this, we need the Spirit of God to form us for this task because this task is enough. And remember, we are going to blow it. We are going to mess up. We are going to stumble and fall. And maybe even some of us, we are at times on our worst days going to push somebody else down. And by the way, I want to say this. We're going to definitely want to do all those things. <laughs> all right. All right. Take that, as, as like, take that to Jesus too. We're going to want what we want. Christ can change our desires. But did you know it's the practices that shape desires? So I want you to think about a person right now that you'd like to throw hands with. That you'd like to pop off with a hot take. And I'd like for you to imagine them coming to the table with you today. And then trust God with that. Just trust God with that. And you go live your faithful life. Because God doesn't call us to perfection. God calls us to faithfulness. And faithfulness always looks like love. And that's enough. 
You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 